or so inclined. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, take our Bibles, please, and turn once again to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 15. While you're turning there, welcome to you online. Those of you who are sitting in with us here, we pray your blessing, the blessing of the Lord on you as you uh, worship with us uh, through this means. Uh, we're thankful for it. All right, Numbers uh, 15. Will you stand, please, for the reading of God's holy word? I'll begin reading at verse 37. What is by now, I trust, a very familiar passage to you. Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it should be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of Yahweh to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh, your God. Our Lord adds his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So, as we wrap up this little mini-series on holiness today, we have looked at the necessity of remembering the commandments of God regarding holiness in speech, the necessity of remembering God's commandments regarding holiness of thought, and those commandments uh, whereby he directs us in our behavior that is to be holy in his sight. And now for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the fourth tassel that we are examining. And the reminder of God's holiness and the requirement of us being holy as well as we come to him in worship. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this carefully. Why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? Now, I'm not going to start a discussion this morning about it. But I'd really like you to carefully consider that. Do you come to church for the fellowship? Do you come to church for um, the preaching? Do you come to church for um, the opportunities for service that you have? Do you come to church for um, the desire to be, out of the desire to be stirred up emotionally, to be more fervent in your love for the Lord and your service for Him? Do you come because it's expected do you come because of the pressure of family or friends? Do you come for what the church can do for you? Now, with all of those things, there is an element of acceptability with that. Fellowship is, for example, one of the functions that the church uh, engages in, which is a benefit and a blessing. 
Um, the Word certainly is. Uh, the, the rituals and the other things that we have that, that stir our hearts and remembrance of who God is and all of that to, so that we can, um, we can feel comforted and feel at peace. There's an element of truth there. And indeed with all of the other things as well. There's an element of truth to them. Some even more elements, uh, even weightier than others. But I would submit to you, if those are the only reasons that you come to church, you're coming for the wrong reason. Some of you probably are already figuring out where I'm going with this. You come to church to bow before a holy God. To meet with Him. If no one else was here, you would be worshiping Him. If everybody else that was here was at odds with him, you would be worshiping him. Whether you were able to fellowship or not with each other. That's a bonus if you can do that. But we come into his presence among his people to meet him, exalt him, and worship him. And everything else is icing on the cake everything else because if we're not coming to meet him our worship no matter how glorious it might be no matter how soul stirring it might be no matter how intense the fellowship is no matter how awesome the preacher is if you're not meeting with God and your eyes are not focused on him your worship is unholy because ultimately, if you're not coming to meet with him, you're coming for some selfish purpose. Our worship is to be holy unto the Lord. We noted the first aspect of that holy worship a couple weeks ago when we talked about its suitability, that, that what we say, what we do, and how we do it accurate, accurately reflects the glories of God points people to who he truly is, not what our preferences are. That our worship to be suitable must not just be a regurgitation of the warmed over, warmed up leftovers of a fallen world that knows how to worship its gods like, it, like many are doing today. Rather than worshiping him. Is your worship suitable? And then, uh, kind of an outgrowth of that suitability was the characteristic of holy worship that we looked at last week. And that it is substantial. That it's rich with content. It's not just uh, simplistic uh, being content, I'll put it that way. There, there's a place for simplicity. Particularly for those who are young in the faith. But there ought to be a desire to grow, to expand, to have the vocabulary go beyond the, uh, you know, the, the 500 words that we're comfortable with. Or the, or the, the half a dozen or dozen or maybe uh, a couple dozen songs that we like to sing and then the rest is all just too hard for us to get our heads around. Our God is bigger than that. And our worship should be substantial because it is reflecting back to Him His glories and his glories are not elementary and 
simplistic, and minimal. They are infinite. And the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly in all wisdom, so that when we exhort one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that is done out of the richness of our experience with Jesus Christ and the, the breadth uh, of our knowledge of him and what his statutes are. Of course, truly, as the psalmist said in Psalm 119, our st- his statutes, his statutes should be our songs in our pilgrimage. So we'll wrap this up this morning by looking at a third aspect of holy worship. And this one is, in some ways, uh, the most important of all. And that is holy worship must be spiritual. Spiritual. Now, years ago, I used to sing with uh, a wonderful choir in Portland. And we would have these big concerts in these glorious church venues, you know, the kind that have the echoes that go on for 20 seconds, that kind of stuff. And just, you know, it, it, we'd sing some of the, the great classics of, of Western civilization, and of many, many of them were sacred, sacred pieces. And it happened more than once that after uh, a concert, uh, audience members would come up to the choir members, come up to us and say, you know, oh, that was just so wonderful. It was, it was just so spiritual. Now, when you hear the word spiritual in relationship to worship, what do you think many people uh, assume that that means? Well, that they, it stirred their souls, it touched an emotional cord, uh, that that uh, you just, it just made you feel good and somehow elevated you out of the mundane into the heavenlies somehow. And certainly there are times when uh, worship before a holy God can certainly do that as we have our eyes and our hearts fixed upon him, meditating upon his glories and his wonderful love. We can... We can be overcome with joy, with with emotional uh, an emotional response of of wonder, or perhaps as we come into His presence uh, with contrition, conviction, other things like that. But for those concert goers, spiritual simply meant I was transported out of the mundane into something special. Really felt awesome. That's not what I'm talking about at all, okay? Not that it can't happen, but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about holy worship. People get pretty excited when they're worshiping their other gods, whether it's their pursuits, whether it's their sports, whether it's their pleasures, whether it's their wealth, whatever it is. We can all get pretty excited about those things. Holy worship unto God is different. It's set apart. It is not common. And in order for that to take place, it must be spiritual. Now I'm taking my thought from this, from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and verse 
24, a, a, a passage that I'm sure is familiar to most everyone here. The Lord Jesus said there, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now we've all heard that verse many, many times. But I wonder how often we stop to think, what does that really mean? I think sometimes uh, we think of it in terms of, well, we worship in our, in our heart. And there's an element of that there. That's the spirit part. And then in truth, well, according to his word. Yeah, okay, that, I, we can go with that. And yet I think there's something more th here that's in view, and particularly because of the opening four words of that verse. God is a spirit. Spirit there, to worship him in spirit, is not simply to worship in an emotional way where our hearts are engaged, which all too often that's the way it gets interpreted. We talk about being in Christ when we are redeemed. But the Spirit of God is given to us by Christ. We are in the Spirit as well. We see that, that uh, terminology used uh, in a couple of different places in the New Testament. One of the ones that I particularly, uh, particularly springs to mind is the Apostle John. It's on the island of Patmos. It says, I being in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Does that mean he's in a trance? Does that mean he's, uh, you know, what? What does that mean? Um, he, would, he would have a vision. But being in the Spirit was a condition that is the preface to that vision. I want you to think about this. What is the job of the Holy Spirit? What is the job of the Holy Spirit? I would suggest to you that his task is to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a primary duty. We have other tasks as well, convicting the world of sin and regenerating us and all those sorts of things. But all of that is to point us to Christ and to call to our remembrance the things that Christ has taught us. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. He's constantly pointing us to Christ. Jesus said, The Spirit of truth will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. That's in John 16 and verse 14. Our music choices, our worship practices, should all reflect this example, this principle, I believe. Simply stated, in order for worship to be holy, and to be truly spiritual is to follow the pattern of the, of the Holy Spirit of God in that it actually does not draw attention to itself but points to Jesus Christ. Any choice of your music or the performance of it, regardless of what style we're talking about. And some styles, by the way, make this a lot harder to live out because some styles are just designed to draw attention to themselves. But if the music or the performance of it becomes the center of attention, whatever the style, it ceases to be spiritual. Because it takes the attention away from the God of heaven 
and turns it upon the performer. Paul tells us, commands us, therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Not, not uh, standing here singing so that uh, uh, others will notice how well we're singing. Or uh, in the case of some, I know you might be thinking, if I stand here, maybe nobody knows that I'm not singing because I really shouldn't for the sake of my brothers and sisters. But in either case, there's an element of saying, you know, I'm looking at what, I'm going about this with the wrong thought. I'm thinking about me here instead of thinking about the Lord of glory. And then after that, well, it just becomes just going through the motions. It's really not spiritual, holy worship. Now, being in the Spirit then is really the idea of just being in tune with Him and His direction to look to Christ. I doubt not that on the island of Patmos that John was meditating upon the Lord Jesus, meditating upon the Word, meditating about what Christ had taught as the Spirit was calling those things to remembrance. And in that condition, then, the Spirit of God revealed that vision, which we now call the book of Revelation, to him. The major part of spiritual worship is your motivation. Your motivation. If you are not filled with the Spirit, your uh, worship expressions in music and in speech, uh, those are just so many empty words to one another. To be filled with the Spirit means that you are, you're walking in readiness to hear and respond to His voice through His Word. Such a readiness and such a response results in joy and also in humility and ultimately in obedience, which demonstrates the reality of your new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So sing and speak to those around you and in your own heart with the conscious goal of being the Spirit's mouthpiece through what you sing and say. Let me say that again. Sing and speak to those around you and in your own heart with a conscious goal of being the Spirit's mouthpiece through what you sing and say. If you're not doing that, then why are you singing? And why are you talking? If it's not to exalt Christ, I don't care what you're saying. Well, I do care what you're saying. But you can be saying all the right things. And it still not be holy, and it still not be spiritual worship. Now, there's another facet of spirit motivation that may be best understood by taking a brief look at its opposite. Uh, which we've already begun to do in a little bit, but fleshly motivation. And here we kind of get to the core 
of why we'll, we often can come into God's presence and do it, say the right things, but do it in the wrong way and thus dishonor our Lord rather than truly worship Him. Uh, there was a sports promoter um, uh, some years ago named uh, Bob Briner. He's uh, no longer with us. He wrote a book called Roaring Lambs. He said this, culturally, we're lambs, meek, lowly, easily dismissed, cuddly creatures that are fun to watch, but never a threat to the status quo. It's time for those lambs to roar. Yeah. I've never read his book, Roaring Lambs, so I'm not sure uh, as a sports promoter what exactly he was talking about there. But that comment was quoted by uh, a, a gal uh, named Candy Cushman who wrote an article called Salt or Sugar uh, in a, uh, a year 2000 issue of World Magazine. Quoting in the context of describing a problem with contemporary worship. And I, I remember I remember going to a concert of a, a, a Christian uh, artist named Carmen many years ago. Some of you may know who that is. Um, I got pressured into doing it. We went, got given tickets, made the mistake of sitting in front of the speaker tower. Couldn't hear for two weeks after that. But I remember, uh, it's interesting, he said some pretty awesome stuff as far as the gospel is concerned in between uh, his songs. Though uh, on occasion, the songs that he sang completely undid the great stuff that he said uh, in between them. One of the things, as he was talking about the, you know, our, our necessity of, of trusting Christ and so on, the very next song was all about how uh, basically it's the Christian version of we're not going to take it anymore. That we're the ones that are going to stand up and we're going to, we are going to conquer this earth and we are going to, um, uh, you know, basically slay the, slay the devil and just because of the fact that we're going to stand up and we're going to do all this stuff. And it was a very, and people were just loving it, eating it up because after all, this kind of stuff, we get tired of being the cuddly little lambs. We get tired of being the ones who are the downtrodden. We don't want to, we want to make a difference. We want to make an impact. We want the things that we sing and the things that we say to get people right in the heart for the sake of the kingdom. But there's a problem with that. Yeah, it appeals to our human pride, but it has nothing to do with being motivated by the Holy Spirit of Christ. What did he say? Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Matthew 10. Jesus is the lion who roars. Not us. Not us. You worship styles and content that are designed to get our fighting spirit going just so that 
we will take matters into our own hands in this world rather than marching under the banner of the king. Um, even when that's that, that content and that style is, uh, is pursued because we desire to be relevant, so we strive to sanctify, to sanctify it. It really is about pride. And that cannot promote godliness. It ultimately only promotes carnality. I was sharing uh, with the guys yesterday uh, at, uh, uh, during our devotional time, uh, James had brought up an excellent uh, study on the Sabbath day and its proper observance. It's very, very good. Uh, and I just uh, recalled to them seeing on Facebook that bastion of truth and helpfulness. Um, uh, there was a, a site there called the Reformed Sage, and this guy likes to push buttons. So he said uh, something along the lines of, um, yeah, if you could uh, program uh, a, a Christian artist at uh, the Super Bowl for the halftime show, what song would they sing? I didn't read all the other comments. I, my sanctification is not that advanced. But uh, I, I, and I don't usually engage on those things because it's rather pointless but I couldn't help myself with this one it just I know what he was trying to do but I think it's the wrong thing to ask um, what I said was something along the lines of it dishonors God when you try to sanctify the violation of his law by tacking a Christian song onto it and uh I was expecting a lot of blowback on that, but nobody's commented. So, I don't know if I was with Mr. Killjoy or what, but anyway. Um, or maybe they just blocked me and deleted it. That's possible too. We can strive, and, and, and in the early days of the contemporary Christian music uh, movement, songs like Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music, you know, that kind of stuff. All, it was all about relevance, all about engaging the culture with the stuff that meant something to them rather than thinking about bringing a holy God, um, bringing, bringing a, an unholy culture into stark contrast into the presence of a holy God. To try to sound as much like the world as possible so that we could gain a hearing rather than trusting the Lord in the Spirit to engage whom he will with his word. The fact of the matter is, is that lust for excitement and emotional intensity are no substitutes whatsoever for spiritual joy. Our worship must be spiritual. So let me ask you this question. Will your worship in song, in word, in behavior? Will your worship reflect the new song 
of the worshiper of Yahweh? Will it be suitable? Or will it reflect the trite superficiality of the children of the world? I mean, regardless of our personal preferences, beloved, because after all, our preferences are still subject to the lusts of the flesh. Our worship must give the clear, unmixed testimony that we are the children of God and a holy God at that. And even more so, it must declare back to God his own glory. So may God give us the grace and discernment to be firm against trying to sing the Lord's song in a heathen way. For how can sweet water flow from a bitter well, the scriptures ask us. So we'll wrap up today. Are your tassels clean? Is your speech, your thought, your behavior, your worship, holy every time you open your mouth be aware you're in God's presence every thought that you think is known to him every time that you are tempted to break his law remember you will answer to him and every act of worship is subject to his scrutiny and judgment Motivated by love for him, with a readiness to hear what the Spirit would say to you through his word, and possessing a proper fear of the living God, be holy as he is holy. Let's pray. I thank you, Father, for the reminders that you have for us in your word. Tassels abound. Remind us of your commandments to be holy in thought, word, deed, and worship. Lord, let what we do and say be pleasing in your sight. May we not be content or find any uh, satisfaction in just simply uh, reworking the, the unholy, unspiritual worship of the world because it's comfortable to us. But let us think more of you, our holy, living God. And let us long to do those things that bring delight to you. Help us, Father, in our lives and our testimonies to exalt you in all of your worth and wonder. Help us to be holy, even as you are holy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our uh, hymn before we come to the Lord's table is, it's actually a psalm setting of Psalm 142, please. I cry for mercy to the Lord. A good, a good cry because 
We often fail in this matter of holiness, so it's appropriate for us as we come into his presence to do so humbly, praying that he would grant us mercy and allow us to praise his name, as you'll see there in verse 6. So uh, let's stand together, please, as you're able. 142, I cry for mercy to the Lord. (laughs) 